Hello and welcome to another episode of our podcast, In Amen, as we look at all the words in between the first and last words of the Bible. I'm your host, Justin Elwell, and today we are going to be continuing a series in which we are doing on the B attitudes. In this particular one, we are going to be studying being pure in heart and how that relates to how we are to effectively communicate with the world around us and love our neighbor at the same time. So let's listen in as we learn this vital truth from God's word, Jesus's sermon, being pure in heart. Four weeks now, five weeks, uh, on the introduction that Jesus gave to the first sermon we have recorded in Scripture by him. We call it the Sermon on the Mount because he was sitting along a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and, uh, and there was a crowd of people who were around. We don't know exactly how many, but he separates himself and moves a little higher onto the hill, and his disciples follow him, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse verse number two. And then Jesus starts to teach these disciples as well as all of those people who are resting on the hillside to hear what he had to say. Now just remember for a moment what we're talking about. We are talking about a man that by this time had gotten a reputation as being a rabbi, a a teacher, somebody who was very much giving a different message than any of the other religious messages of the time. Most of, it's not, it wasn't Christianity, of course, at that time, but most of religion in Israel had been uh, hijacked, if you will, by being a religion of you have to look good. It's really what it was all based off of. Look good, man. If you're going to pray, pray where everybody can see you. Go into the center of town and just start screaming out, God, I'm going to pray to you, not like these lowly publicans that don't care about you. I'm going to do what's necessary. And, and, And you make sure that everybody sees just how spiritual you are. When you're going to fast, man... Make sure that you wear your five-day-old clothes so everybody knows that you're suffering for Jesus. Well, not Jesus, but you know. Uh, You're suffering. Make sure sure you put on the best show possible and because that is somehow gives you some status to be able to be worthy of God's love. And so Jesus, the Son of God, is about to open his mouth and he opens it up by telling you, I'm not going to tell you how you can look. I'm going to tell you how to be happy. How to be blessed. His very first word he uses is blessed is the person who does this. Blessed is the person who does this. I love it because God is trying to communicate to each and every one of us how to be completely fulfilled, bone deep happy in our life. Do you ever sometimes sit back and think, all God cares about 
is what I'm doing for him. Can I tell you, just like Jesus did, you know what he's cared about? How he can bless you. You say, preacher, are you going to start saying that, you know, if you give a little bit of seed money, that all these blessings are going to stop pouring at you? Find out what Jesus says it takes to be truly happy in this world. You're going to find out very quickly it's no magic pill. Sometimes a bitter pill to swallow. Because what does it take? Well, if you look in verse number three, he starts it and he says, blessed are, uh, uh, let me get there, because uh, all of a sudden I just lost my whole, my whole memorization. Uh, verse number three, he says, blessed are the poor in spirits. That means spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are the people who realize that they cannot bless themselves. Blessed are the people who realize that they have no good of them in themselves. They are spiritually bankrupt. They can't figure it out on their own. Blessed is the person who realizes that happiness is not based off of your performance. It's got to be done by someone else because you will never make yourself happy. Wow. That's kind of gloom. You go to that self-help section at the bookstore. What's a bookstore? You get on Amazon and get and, and get, download it on your Kindle, the self-help books. You find out very quickly, I can do this. If I just try a little harder, I'll get there. And you know what God says? You're going to be truly happy when you take that pressure off of yourself because you can't be happy on your own. You are spiritually bankrupt. You have no resource to get spiritually fulfilled, to get spiritually happy in your life. You say, why is that important? Because then you you have a God who loves you so intently that wants to pour fulfillment into your life. He wants to save you. He wants to make you whole again. He wants to make you fulfilled again. You say, what do you mean by whole and fulfilled? I'm talking about he wants to first make sure that your eternity is going to be with him forever. First he wants to introduce you to is the relationship that I will do what you cannot. I will be your savior. I will pay your sin debt. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, spiritually bankrupt, away from God without any ability to reach him, he says, Christ died for us. So the first part of happiness Realize you can't do it on your own. God's got to do it for you. Number two, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we talked about what that mourn was. That mourn was sitting back and saying, you know what? Because you have to understand, this isn't independent. Each one builds upon another. So what are we mourning? We're mourning our spiritual bankruptness. I don't think that's a word, but I'm from West Virginia, so it is now. Uh, they're, they're, spiritual, uh, they're spiritual bankrupt. Why are you spiritually bankrupt? Because are a sinner. That means, as Paul said, the things you, you should do, you don't want to do. The things you shouldn't do, that's what you want to do. That shows that your decision-making is broke. You are jacked up, and you think you're okay. He says, no, when you realize just how jacked up you are, you need to mourn that. And when I was using that term mourn, it's talking about uh, having service 
That's the intensity of this morning. What do you do at a funeral service? You separate yourself as a final separation from the person that you are bearing. That's why it's so sad. Because you're saying, I'm not going to be able to be with you anymore. This is our final separation. What he's saying is, you need to mourn the sin that puts you in the position of where you're at. Separate yourself. How many times, what is the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Sometimes we will do the same thing that we know will make us miserable over and over and over again, because this time, I'll be good. And we, we, we break God's law thinking that God gave us that law just to deny us happiness. When all actuality, what he told us is to benefit us. You know, he doesn't get any brownie points because you, had a good, you did good today. You, you get helped by that. So he said, you need to mourn the sin. You need to separate yourself from what's destroying your life because that's the only way that you're going to be comforted. That's the only way you're going to find happiness. Number three. After you do that, then you blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What is meek? That is when you are under control of something else, by something else. It's the idea of a horse. It's not weakness. A horse isn't weak. A horse is much stronger than the person who moves the, uh, the, the strap. I, I, I don't know horses. Uh, moves the strap one way or to the other. Uh, rain, there you go, uh, moves the rain uh, from one side to the other. That, that beast is much stronger than the person moving it, but the beast has allowed, has, has been trained to the point to where he is allowing just on a gentle five-year-old's tug on the reins to change direction. Why? Because the horse is a definition of meekness, power under control. We all have power. We all have abilities. We all have certain things we're good at and everything like that. But the problem is sometimes we take what we're good at and we just throw it to anybody and everybody. We take what God's given us and share it to anybody but God. He says, no, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the people who have the Holy Spirit of God to control their lives. Allow the Holy Spirit of God to move and to direct their steps. Trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5, with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. If you allow the Holy Spirit to control, he says, you're going to be happier than you trying to figure it out. And so what's he saying? Release yourself of your spiritual um, pride. Release yourself of your physical pride. Pride. Be merciful. Separate yourself from sin. Then release yourself from your mental pride. Be under the control of someone else. And you know what it's going to produce? The next step. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Because I don't know about you, but when all of a sudden you go, go on one of those diets where you say, I'm going to say no to Coke, or I'm going to say no to soda, want for the next three weeks? Soda. But if you can make it past the initial withdrawal symptoms, all of a sudden you're going to start getting thirsty. And guess what you're going to be thirsty for? Water. Why? Because when you get out the junk, God can give you or your natural man can even give you a thirst for what you were designed to thirst for. None of us were 
designed to thirst for Pepsi? We have the thirst, but we've traded it off with a thirst for something that's not good for us, thinking, and I'm not preaching against Pepsi. Uh, I got Pepsi in my office. Uh, but, but we have a thirst, but why do we have these thirsts? Why does all of a sudden our brain tell us that we need to be hungry for McDonald's Big Mac more than we need to be hungry for a celery stick? Because we've tried McDonald's Big Macs, and they're really good for the first hour. And then you're like, uh, I'm never eating one of those again. Until the next day, because you got a taste for McDonald's Big Mac. That's the way sin is. Sin is just a taste of something that you're like, oh, it's good. It was really great for today until the next morning. You're like, uh, no, no bueno, no bueno. But we get it, develop a taste for it. You get all that out of your life. You get those toxins out of your life. All of a sudden, you'll start to crave the righteousness of God. You'll hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then and only then can you truly find something that fills you and satisfies you. Can I tell you, there is no job that is going to satisfy you. There is no earthly relationship that will completely satisfy you. There is no... Nothing on the internet that is going to completely satisfy you. There is nothing at any restaurant. There is nothing anywhere in this world that will completely fill you, completely satisfy you, completely feed the hunger and thirst that you truly crave. The only thing that will completely satisfy that is the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and developing not just an introduction to Jesus, but develop a hunger and thirst to want to follow him and it fills you then after you hunger and thirst after the righteousness of god can i just tell you something his who he is and start to start to read this bible like you're going to change your life not you're going to change it what winds up happening is you wind up realizing that the closer you get to god the more you're going to love people more. And so we see this arc, that this journey Jesus is taking us to that says, get closer to me, get closer to me, get closer to me. And you wake up, but I'm not trying to get closer to you. I'm trying to have a better marriage. I'm not trying to get closer to you. I'm trying to be a better father, a better mother. I'm trying to be a better coworker. I'm trying to be all of these things. I'm trying to be a better person. He said, get closer to me, get closer to me. This doesn't make sense, preacher. It's stupid. What you find yourself waking up is as I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness, all of a sudden my intensity of my emotions with people start to become closer. Because if I love God, I'm going to love who he loves. And who does God love? People. So then what does he say? Matthew chapter 5 says, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. And we talked about that last week, about how important it is to be filled. Let, let the flow of mercy, Jesus it, it brings down mercy. He, he gives mercy to everybody. He provides it to the just, to the unjust. He showers you with mercy, but it's so important to receive the mercy he's giving you, to pay attention to what God is doing in your life, to every once in a while maybe even say thank you uh, uh, for gifts that you are given. 
focusing on the one or two things that isn't working out in your life. Maybe focus on the other thousand things that God is doing for you that you've never even thought to thank him for. And he showers you and you start to become filled with the mercy that God is showering you and you become so full. And then God says, if you do that, if you become full of mercy, mercy full, you know what I'm going to give you? More mercy. They're like, well, I'm kind of full on that. Why? Why does he want to keep giving you? Because if you're full, then it starts to spill over to others. What I find is that the more I recognize the, the love God is showing me, the more love I show others. The more mercy I show to people around me. I remember last week, I kind of gave everybody the homework, you know, get ready, because this week you're going to have to be merciful. Because God didn't tell you, give you that message without them to practice. You know what happened Sunday afternoon? Stupid guy cut me off. You know what I did? Nothing. Still upset about it. But why? Got to practice what I preach. Then, then we get to Monday. And I decide to go get my oil changed Monday afternoon, evening. So I go walk into Walmart. No, I, I'm sorry. I had to get a tire replaced. That's what it was. I had to get tires replaced. And so, and so I got this guy, and, and he's, he's, he's kind of green. This might be like the first time. So he's like, he doesn't even know exactly what to do. And so I'm actually talking to him about how to take care of my tires and teaching him to do his job mercifully, I might add. Uh, and I'm having this conversation with them, and, and then all of a sudden, I start hearing, and then I say, well, let me go into Walmart. I got to get a couple things. So I start walking through Walmart, and then all of a sudden, a bunch of people start yelling out, run, run, run. I'm like, what in the world is going on? And then all of a sudden, I hear over the loudspeaker, I need everybody to exit the Walmart. Everybody, please exit the Walmart. Please exit the Walmart. Come to find out, a bunch of teenagers had set uh, the toilet paper aisle on fire. Yeah, you've never had that happen to you before. Neither did I until I preached on being merciful. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm coming outside, and, I, and everybody's saying, yeah, it's like, we're going to be out here for a while. And I'm just thinking, I've already been here like an hour and a half. It's time to go home. I just needed two tires put on. Should have taken 15 minutes. So I walk around to where the, where the tire's being operated, and I see six people. Uh, sitting uh, three feet away from my van, sitting there, doors open and saying, we're not allowed in. You might not realize this, but I am what you call an Elwell. And we're great church people, but we are mean business people. And, uh, and so I was not happy, but I preached on being merciful that week. And so I sat there for another hour while literally minutes of work was left on my van. And I'm sitting there with this group of people just sitting there as the fire had taken place on the complete opposite side of the Supercenter Walmart. But they had to wait until it was cleared. And finally, after an hour, they start working on it again, and it gets done. And they come in, and I had to go and pay for it. 
Yeah. And you know what I wanted to do? Bless God, you're giving me a discount. Well, you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to get this done, and uh, I never want to pay another dime in this Walmart ever again. You and I did? No, I didn't give him a tip. It's Walmart. <laughs> I sat back. I was like, what do I owe you? They rung it up. They did wind up giving me something, but the, the, I didn't ask for it. And they said, here it is, and, and here you go. And, and I was like, well, thank you very much. Like, like I, and, the, and, and it was great. The lady said, I appreciate you being nice about this. I said, yeah, so does God, because I didn't appreciate very much. What did I have to learn? Merciful. I pay all those things, but I'd show mercy. Did Walmart deserve my nice attitude? Absolutely not. But I didn't deserve God's mercy either. Yet he showed it to me. And sometimes you'll find yourself, you know, I walked out of that Walmart pretty happy. Now, don't ask me what it was like while I was in there. But I was pretty happy. Why? Because I would maintain everybody smiling and maybe a little bit of the love of God in the situation. And that's an awesome thing to have happen say, well, what do you do after that to be happy? I mean, that sounds like pretty fulfilling and pretty happy. Well, the Bible goes on to say, and that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes today, is the next step is to be blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now, remember, we've kind of dealt with God, and now we're Dealing with who God loves and people, what's it mean to be pure in heart with people? Let me explain it. Purity has two main definitions when it talks about being pure. The, the first definition is to, is to be clean, to be uh, released from impurities, to, to get all the junk out so that it's just the element that you want. But there's a second definition, and I believe both of these come into play with this, and that is purity is exclusively one element, one focused thing, to not be dual focused. In other words, if I want pure gold, I'm going to have gold that's free from impurities, but I'm also not going to have silver mixed in. Or then it's no longer just gold. It's not pure gold. It's, it's, some, it's a mixing of the elements. And, and so the important thing, when it's talking about pure in heart, it's talking about two things. First of all, it's about yourself from the impurities that are in your heart, but then it also has the idea of being consistent, singularly focused, not double-minded. We learn in James a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so if we put these two together, we're talking about a heart free and 
consistently focused on one thing. He says, you will be happy. You will be bone deep happy. You will be fulfilled if you stay consistent. Consistent. This is where we have struggles because we live in very very much like where this sermon was originally being given. Because you got to imagine, you got to understand that part of this group of people that were sitting along the hillside were Pharisees. They were with Jesus everywhere. And these were the religious leaders of the day. And I'm sure they might have had a little bit of problem with this statement. They would have much rather Jesus say, blessed are the pure for they shall see God. Because they knew how to act pure. They knew how to look pure. They knew how to, how to fool everybody that they were good. And they knew that if they could fool everybody, it might as well be that they were. And then Jesus says, how about your heart? Is that pure? How about what nobody can see? How about in the dead of night that nobody knows about? How about the How about the hidden place on your phone? How pure is that? How about the thoughts you're thinking but aren't saying? How pure is that? So you think all this purity is something that you just ought to, man, I, 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 as long as I look good, I am good. God says, it don't work that way. You know why churches have a bad reputation? Because we're full of pure people. And not enough pure. Say, so what's the difference? Consistent. You invite someone to church. Yeah, come with me to church on Sunday. Man, you come in and it's like, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Even though I'm not even going to bother reading it Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm sure it's in there somewhere. I love thee, my Jesus. I mean, kind of, but I hate my kids. And we start to be dual life lifers. We got our church life, we got our home life. We got our work life, and we start compartmentalizing all different lives as in, yeah, I'm this way here, and then I'm this way here, and we're full of a bunch of great actors say, why do you know that, preacher? Because I see your Facebook profiles. I see all this stuff that you post online about how perfect you are. And then I meet you. And guess what? They don't always mix. I know your life is perfect. Just look at your Facebook page. 
It's perfect. You always look like you have makeup on, ladies. Your entire life is nothing but makeup. And we sit through this. Guys, you go and exercise every single day. I know it because you take a picture once a week. We're all about this show. And we separate it from the reality of what we know we are. And God says, you want to be happy? Quit that. You want to be happy? I'm not telling you be a wicked, sinful, or just tell everybody, I'm a sinner. I'm the worst sinner here. The church is not a place to one-up each other on how sinful you are. I get it. You know why I get it? But church is a place to be real. And what you need to work on, work on. And what you are conquering, man, let us, let's all rejoice together about how wonderful that is. And let's build each other up, but let's be consistent at least. Be real. Be pure of heart. That means that at some point, all of us have something in our mind. I don't know what's in your mind. You don't know what's in mine. But something is in our mind this week that says it's junk and it's got to be removed. I've got to do it. I've got to work on this. I've got to have my day one. Because you know how you conquer anything? One day at a time. Too many of you, you want day two. You're not willing to have day ones. So if I had day ones like 100 times, I don't want 101 day one. Well, just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. The only thing you got to do is try one more time than you fail. And eventually it'll come. Be pure in heart. Work on the impurities. Get those out of your life. Start focusing on pure, living righteously, living according to how God dictates, but also be consistent in it. Stop the charade, because let me just tell you, the charade's easier. And if you start becoming addicted to looking right, what you're going to find yourself doing is never working on being right. So focus on that. Be pure in heart. You say, what's the benefit of that? And that's what I want to close with. The benefit of that is you see God. You might be sitting there, he's like, okay. Some of you might be thinking, okay, so God's going to come down. I'm going to see what, what, what are you talking about or what's he talking about there? Sometimes as a pastor, I sit through life wondering, Does God really even care about what I'm doing? I'll, I'll do, I, I go through life, and, and I have the same questions and concerns that I believe each and every person here does at different times in life. You know, does God even really care? And sometimes I can get so focused on trying to right that I, 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 
I start focusing more on making sure I keep everybody happy than that I keep God happy. And what I find is that the more I draw close into a genuine, pure heart that is seeking after God, the more I notice what has been in my face all along is not very far off. All of a sudden, I see, wow, he really is directing that path. Do I see a physical image? No. But what I see is it's like, wow, like I can see, I can look back and I can see how God led me to Tioga, Texas. I didn't know Tioga, Texas existed four years ago. I barely knew Texas existed 20 years ago. Knew you guys had a great football team 20 years ago. (laughs) But now to see how God can move. And what's the difference? It's not that God hasn't been working in my life all along. It's just sometimes I don't notice it until I get connected with who he is. And he is a holy, holy, holy God. And all of a sudden, it's when my eyes are open to what he is doing and closed to what I'm trying to hold on to, that my faith can start to become sight. You say, what are you trying to say, preacher? Take this week and just be real. Real and trying. Bible talks about those different forms of holiness and purity. Do you know the sweetest thing in the Bible about this idea of purity? There's lots of great verses. This one's found, I believe, in Malachi. It says, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. That though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He says, this purity thing, it's not something that if I be good enough, I'm going to get. Really, it's going to God and saying, God, I have no way to get clean. Now, if you look at each other, you'll say, oh, I'm good. Because there's always someone you're better than. But can I just give you something? If you pour a cup of water into a septic tank, you know what it becomes? Sewage. If you pour a cup of sewage into a container of water, you know what becomes? Sewage. No matter what you think, your impurities will not allow you to all of a sudden say, well, maybe I can get rid of this on my own. You can't do it. So what's got to happen? The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be called the righteousness of God by Christ Jesus. You know what Jesus wants to do in your life? I want to trade places. 
You're a sinner. Because of your sin, you deserve a lake of fire. That's what you deserve. That's what the Bible says. But I don't want you to go through that. So if you'll let me, I'll take all your sin and I'll give you my righteousness, my purity. Does that mean I'm never going to mess up? No, you're going to mess up again because you still got a flesh. But you can have the confidence that all of your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. And there will come a day where you will stand before the God of heaven and he will look at you and he'll say, you're perfect, not because you've never sinned, but because the righteousness of God is on you. Say, how do I get that, preacher? It's a gift. Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. The paycheck of sin is death. And it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what do I have to do? Romans 10, 9 says it, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that is calling out to Jesus with your mouth and saying, Lord, I'm believing in you. And he says, and believe in thine heart hath raised him from the dead. Believe the gospel. Believe Jesus died for you. He was buried for you. He rose again for you. He said, if you do that, he says, Romans 10, 9, thou shalt be saved. He simplifies it even a little more simply. A couple verses later in verse 13 where he says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you know if you call out to God and ask him to save you, the Bible says he'll do it. It doesn't matter how simple that sounds. It doesn't matter. You, you can sit back and say, that easy. There's got to be more. There's got to be a loophole. God's got to have some contract in, but that's not what he said. He said, call out to me and I will save you because it's, and it's not because you're a good person. It's not because you do good things. It's not because of the charity event you went to last week. You know why? Because he is a great, gracious, merciful God. And he loves you. Thank you so much for listening to this message, and I hope that you found some ideas and ways on your own that you can be authentic in the world around you while at the same time trying to be as pure as you possibly can be in your day-to-day -day life. If you have any comments or would like to share on this subject, please reach out to me at friendshiptioga at gmail.com. As always, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you are listening from, and don't forget to share this with someone who needs it, whether it be your favorite social media platform like Facebook or Twitter, or share a link to a friend by email. And we look forward to next time. Until then, keep being pure and keep going.